Alrighty, we're going to get started. Handouts are on the table right by the side doors right here. Right where Mr. Stodema is. Handouts if you want one. Alrighty. Well, let's open in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you that we can come and gather together and study. Uh, today, we pray that our conversation would be uh, encouraging, that our time would be fun as well as instructive, and that you would, in all things, draw us closer to yourself in thought, in our word, in our deed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, hopefully everybody has a handout because the catechism questions are written at the top, and we're going to recite these together. I'll ask the bolded question. And you will all respond in unity with the answer. Uh, questions 110, 111 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you don't have the handout, you can just do it from memory. Okay. Question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only such theft and robbery as are punished by the government... But God views as theft also all wicked tricks and devices whereby we seek to get our neighbor's goods, whether by force or by deceit, such as unjust weights, lengths, measures, goods, coins, usury, or by any means forbidden of God. Also all covetousness and the misuse and waste of his gifts. But what does God require of you in this commandment? That I further my neighbor's good where I can and may deal with him as I would have others deal with me and labor faithfully so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. All right, real quick, this is one of the first times I'm really doing Sunday school this year, just a little bit of review. Why do we do Sunday school? Has God commanded it? Is this required of us? Is a church that doesn't have Sunday school a false church? Mr. Stoudemire, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? It's the idea that uh, without Sunday school, you're a false church. Is, no. Okay. He says, no, you're not a false church simply if you do not have Sunday school. So you're, what is that? So has God not commanded it? Does God not require it? Why are we here? God wants and expects us to um, grow in spiritual matters as much as we are able to do that. And to meet together as a group and talk about things helps us to grow spiritually. It's, it's a, uh, I think it's an implied mandate. Okay. Okay. So in other words, maybe the form itself isn't mandated, but God does tell us to meet together to to encourage one another, instruct one another, to grow and to learn. Okay, good. Um, what's, what, are, what are some of the reasons why, or what are some of the things we can do in Sunday school that we can't do during worship? Question yes, question and answer time. Uh, this interaction in Sunday school is really good and helpful, uh, and it would be inappropriate during worship in the middle of the sermon saying, well, I don't get it, you know. Uh, Paul says something about 1 Corinthians 14, that that's not the place to do that. Uh, but Sunday school it is, this informal, 
question answer. We can go down rabbit trails. We can discuss. Absolutely. What else? What else are we doing here? Why are we here? Good. To love God with all of our mind, this is some place where we're training our minds. And in fact, a lot of what we do in Sunday school is background and kind of what I call filling in the cracks, right? Uh, Helping you have more background so that you can hear God's word in the sermon better. It's here that we're able to to kind of get the background necessary to hear well and uh, to build that foundation and background. Absolutely. Absolutely. we can practice studying together. We can talk about how do we read God's word? How do we how do we study and do things like that? There's a lot of things we can do. Yeah, Brent. We're also not constrained by the formality of worship. Yes. Yeah. There's there's some freedom to flex according to a need or interest by the format. Absolutely. Good. Now, his, yeah, mom. Okay. Right, we can we can we can kind of narrow in on, on subjects and topics that might be hard to really address in as isolated topics, right? During a, a worship service, all of these reasons are why we're here. It's for our benefit. Uh, God doesn't command it, but by no means forbids it, and you know He encourages this time of instruction and, and edification. So typically, historically, we, we've spent our fall studying something from one of the confessions or catechisms, what we would call systematic theology, studying how all these things work together. Uh, in the winter, we've uh, typically looked at a book from the Bible. So we've looked at Job and Daniel and Esther and First Peter, books like that. And then in the spring, we often do a topical study of some sort. Um, that's what we've historically done. Uh, but now, uh, as the church has grown, uh, two things have happened. One is uh, uh, there's more demands on my time and Pastor Brian's time uh, as the church grows. There's people to meet with and things like that, and we're, we're trying to do that. But also, we have more resources, uh, so people who are able to pitch in and help out. And so we've kind of change things up. So last year we had a study on uh, experimental apologetics and engaging culture from Pastor Stephen Roberts. Um, Josh Bernson led us in a study of the book of Ruth. Uh, Tim Draper, uh, Dave Stodema led us in a study on uh, being in God's word. Uh, This fall we began with a study on uh, bibliology from Gary Brown and he's going to finish that study uh, this spring. Uh, It'll probably bring us uh, through May and June. But in the meantime, here's our plan. Uh, Pastor Brian and I are going to return to the Heidelberg Catechism uh, through New Year's, essentially. We've got about 10 weeks left uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, which will bring us right up to about New Year's, which is perfect. Uh, The hope at this point is that Pastor Roberts is going to do another study this January and February. That was really beneficial and encouraging last year. And so... uh, if all goes well, and, and, and here's the big, big, big caveat. He works for the government, and that's just, I mean, they could decide, you know, you're going, you're not going, you're going. So as long as he's here and available, he would love to spend that time with us, and that would be encouraging. He works for the Army. So uh, the only thing you can plan on is that you can't plan on anything uh, with him. Uh, and, then, um, uh, and then also uh, after that, between... Uh, um, Pastor Roberts and, and Gary finishing up 
Brian is putting together some thoughts on a topical study for the spring that we might look at. So, so those, that's where we're headed. Um, but this is, this is uh, kind of what we're doing. Uh, and so for now, we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, it's been a little while. Uh, Pastor Brian got back into it last uh, week. But, but just a few reminders. Um, how is the Heidelberg Catechism set up and arranged? Three main sections. Good. Good. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. What's wrong with us? How are we saved? Right. And how do we respond to God's grace? Guilt, grace, gratitude. Uh, we've given some other alliterative uh, ways to the. What are some other ones? Alliteration is like the re- repetition of the first letter. So guilt, grace, gratitude, all G's. Sin, salvation, and service. Good. Sin, salvation, and service. Good. I gave you guys one with R's. Reality, redemption, and response, right? I came up with a new one this week. C's, right? Uh, corruption, conversion, and consecration, maybe. But this idea of, of what's wrong with our sinful condition, how does God answer our sinful problem, and how does he call us to live in light of that? And now we're on the home stretch. We're dealing with the Christian life. How do we respond to God's grace? Uh, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. We're also going to look at prayer. Before we're done, uh, last week, Pastor Brian taught on uh, the Seventh Commandment on adultery, and he talked about the nature of marriage. So today, we're turning, this is going to shock everyone, to the Eighth Commandment um, after the Seventh. I know, it's, it's, it's shocking. And the Eighth Commandment is about theft. You shall not steal. And here's my, uh, hopefully, uh, main point <laughs> that I'll, we'll, we might even get to today. It's this. The Eighth Commandment requires that we use the gifts that God has given us to bless and to serve others. That we use the gifts that God has given us to bless and to serve others. And hopefully by the time we're done, uh, that might even make sense. We'll see. All right, your turn. Typically, how do we define theft? Taking something that belongs to another. Good. Anything else? In, in what sense we give less than we should? Um, this, that's like. For instance, in, in, say, in, in, if you're working at a job and you know you're, you're there to, to perform a task, you, you do the task, but you do bare minimum. Okay. You don't give as much as you can. Okay. So, in some sort of uh, financial transaction, whether that's purchasing or working, doing less than the agreed, agreed upon amount. Okay. That's helpful. Um, uh, Absolutely. Um, so obviously taking something that doesn't belong to you, that Gary shared, is obviously what the catechism is talking about when it says things punishable uh, by the government, right? If 
you walk into somebody's garage and leave with their car, <laughs> uh, that is theft. If you without walk permission. without permission, yes, yeah. Or you go into a store and you don't pay for something, but you leave with it, that is theft, right? Things like this. Um, but Dave's pressing us and saying, okay, look, if, if your employer says you're going to do this, and you say, okay, sure, but you don't really do that, but you take your full wages, you have not exchanged what you promised to exchange for those wages. Uh, there, there's something that the catechism gets at when it talks about uh, unjust weights or measurements. What's that about? It's about cheating. It's about cheating. Right. So um, we, we don't get this anymore as, as much, but, but typically, because we go into the store and everything already is in bags, says 16 ounces, 24 ounces. It tells us how much it weighs, right? And we, we hope that they're not lying, right? Because then we'll say, well, which is a better deal, the, the 24-ounce bag for this much or the 12-ounce bag for this much? And we think, how much is that per ounce? Well, in the old days, how did they, you, know, you went to the vendor, they didn't have everything in nice, you know, sealed baggies, zip lines, you know, vacuum sealed and all that. They had a big bin, and you say, I want 24 ounces, yeah. So they'd measure it out on a scale, and they'd put 24 ounces on one side, and, and when the scale was balanced, you knew you had 24 ounces. Now, if that wasn't a very honest vendor, what could he do? Make the weight that he puts on one side lighter than 24 ounces. Yeah, he paints it to look like metal, but it's really wood, right? And you think it's 24 ounces, but really it's 16 ounces, but you're paying for 24 ounces worth, right? That's a... He's lying to you. He says, yeah, you're getting 24 ounces, but his, it's, he's lying. Is he stealing? Yeah, yeah. He's only giving you 16 ounces but charging you for 24 or whatnot. That's unjust weights and measurements, and that could be like I want a yard of fabric or you know, things like that. And if they, have, they measure out 34 inches and say it's a yard, now they're, you know, they're, they're, they're overcharging you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Taking yeah, taking somebody's honor that's due. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, good. Um, what about what's usury? The catechism says usury. What is that? Interest. Okay. Interest. Okay. Is it wrong to ever charge interest? No. Okay. So what's usury? You guys know what interest is. You know, I, I'll lend you this much, but you're going to pay back a little bit extra. You're paying for the benefit of borrowing that money, um, right? This is how home loans are done. You try to get a good interest rate and, and things like that. So what's usury? It's a, a higher than appropriate interest rate. So instead of 3%, you charge someone 13%. Okay, instead of 3%, 13%. Four, five times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a home loan might be 4%. A credit card is 22%. That's a pretty huge difference. So why would anybody ever agree to an exorbitant interest rate? Desperation. Desperation. They've fallen on hard times. They have terrible credit. All right? And somebody says, well, I'll take a risk on you or whatever, but... You know, or, or you have nowhere else to go, so I'm going to 
charge you 20, 30, 50% interest. You're, you're taking advantage of hard times and, a, and putting somebody in a situation that is sure to crush them. Right? That's, that's usury. Exploiting them because they have nowhere else to go. Basically, we define, typically, we define theft as taking what rightfully belongs to others through dishonest means. Taking what rightfully belongs to others through dishonest means. So that, that could be uh, weights and measures, usury, uh, you know, oppression. It could just be walking away with something. So what is it that drives theft? What makes people do that? Greed. Yeah. Is Gordon Gecko right? Is greed good? No. Greed is not good. What, what did you say, Dave? Covetousness. Yeah. Yeah, this and the Tenth uh, Commandment are really closely related, right? Uh, and Heidelberg gets into that. Covetousness is, is addressed in this because it is. It's, it's selfishness. It's a lack of contentment with what is rightfully yours. Um, we want more and more for me. But I think we can go deeper. I think we can say more. Because if we're not careful, there's going to be some confusion, right? Let me ask you this question. Is private ownership, is possession of things wrong? Is it wrong to own something? Okay, no. You don't think we should just end private ownership and own all things communally? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we read Acts 4. I'm trying to remember. The, 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 the break between 4 and 5 isn't always uh, uh, tight, so I can never remember where one chapter ends and the other one begins. But, you know, they talked about having all things in common. I mean, is, is that what God is telling us we're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mr. Two Sides of Your Mouth, go ahead and defend yourself. Here. Well, on the one side, it's not wrong to own stuff. Mm-hmm. The other side, it's wrong if you keep that to yourself and you see somebody else in need. Ah. The, so he says it's not, it's not in possessing that's wrong, but how you deal with those possessions can be wrong and often is. Interesting. The Bible never forbids private ownership. In fact, the Bible radically defends it. Do you remember what Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira when they claim to bring more of their gift? What does he say to them? It's yours. You you don't have to give it all. You have the right of... He doesn't sit there and say, well, your problem is you're a capitalist. He doesn't say stuff like that. He says, it's yours. Rightfully so. You get to decide. Why are you lying? Right? Um, the land, when God took Israel into the land, he very carefully broke it up and gave it not just to tribes, but to families within the tribes. And then he put all sorts of safeguards in place so they could guard their possession. Right? The, the rights of inheritance. Uh, if you died without an heir, the kinsman redeemer. Right? If you got on hard times and sold it, the jubilee would help it revert back to the rightful family. God protects ownership over and over and over again. We can't look, read the Bible and say it is wrong 
for a, a citizen to own land or things like that. God protects that. In fact, if, if, if there was no such thing as ownership, then there would be no Eighth Commandment because <laughs> you couldn't steal anything, right? Um, you have a right to some things, but not other things. That's what the Eighth Commandment is wrestling with. So what is it that you have a right to possess? What do you have a right to possess? If you go, what you earned or you inherited, good. Where we're given, absolutely. If somebody gives you a gift, it's rightfully yours. Not because you've earned it, but because you were given. And that's similar to inheritance, but an inheritance is, uh, all gifts aren't necessarily inheritance, right? Good. Anything else? I'm thinking of the, the Levites. They didn't have um, an inheritance in terms of land or that kind of possession, but God gifted them the, the gifts that Israel was bringing. Good, yeah. Ah, good. So the Levites were entitled to uh, a portion of everyone else's fields and flocks, right? Because they weren't given land to farm. They were, they were given uh, the do- job of serving, and, and, and the, the rightful response was Israel needed to care for them, right? Good. So that means two things. One is they had a right to things that were owed to them, and this helps us as well. Uh, we have a right to things we do not owe to others. In other words, um, there might be money in my bank account that I owe to somebody else, and it's therefore not rightfully mine if I hold on to it, even if I earned it, right? What are some of the things I could owe to others? Okay, well, I would, that's really good. I want to go there in just a minute. But what is that? My bank account. Like, where could I owe some money in my bank account? What? What's the question? To whom might I owe money that I've earned and is currently in my bank account? Creditors. Creditors. I, I, I borrow money to buy a house. I borrow money to buy a car. Any money that I owe them that I currently have, it would, be, it would be theft for me to hold on to without paying people I've borrowed money from. Absolutely. Money to, to those whom I owe. Okay? You don't have that money that does not belong to you to spend for some other. Yes. If I take that money that I owe to my creditor and I, and I go to Hawaii instead, that's theft. Absolutely. Just because I have it in my possession and I earned it doesn't mean it's rightfully mine. Same thing with... Render to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Taxes, right? Whether we like them or not, right? But yeah, uh, I, I can owe taxes, I can owe my creditor, my debt, things like that, and so on. Uh, in other words, what we're saying is it's okay to possess something. It's okay to have private ownership, but there are boundaries to that 
that need to be respected. There are boundaries to private ownership that need to be... We're not saying that all private ownership is wrong, but what do I mean by boundaries? Good. There are appropriate... Just because you have something doesn't mean you're free to do anything you want with it, right? There's, there's proper ways to possess things and improper ways to possess things. Proper ways to obtain things, improper ways to obtain things. Proper things to do with what you have and improper things to do with what you have. There are expectations for the things you own. Good. Theft is when you cross those boundaries. Theft is when you take or you possess something that rightfully belongs to another. So here's the million-dollar question. <laughs> Funny term when we're talking about theft. Uh, here's the big question, the important question. Who sets those boundaries? God does. God is the one that determines the right way to obtain something, the right way to possess it, and the right way to use it. And when we cross those boundaries that he sets, we have misused, misobtained, misspent. We have gone into theft. When we that becomes sin for us because yeah. he that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Yeah, right. So when we cross God's expectations, God's rules for how we obtain and possess and use things, we're, we're violating the Eighth Commandment. We're breaking the Eighth Commandment. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 12. Where does the time go? Psalm 50, verse 12. This is God speaking. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. What does that mean? And really, it's, it's okay for, for people beyond the third row to engage to. What does it mean? Yeah. What? The Lord lacks nothing. Why? Because everything is his. What can we give to God that he doesn't already possess? That takes some thought. What does that mean about everything you possess? Borrowed. Ultimately not yours. Okay. The world and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Ultimately, who possesses everything? God. Who, yes. Who has rightful ownership over everything? God. That's pretty profound. Even us. Yes, and even us. Yes. And, and not just Christians, but non-Christians as well belong to the Lord. That means ultimately nothing is really ours in the truest sense. We don't have absolute authority over anything because really it's, it's ultimately God's who has absolute authority over it. 
There, that also means there is nothing to which we have an in, in, in inalienable right. Nothing we are inherently deserving. It means there's nothing in the universe that does not rightfully belong to God, and he has authority over it. He gets to decide how it's used, and he gets to decide to whom it is entrusted. That's pretty significant. That means what we call possession is really what? What we call our possession, us possessing something, is really what? Gifts. Gifts, okay. Stewardship. Stewardship, right? Because even with a gift, it could fully become mine. But when you're entrusted with something on behalf of another, that's really stewardship, right? If, if, I, if I say, you get to use my car as much as you want, but I'm not going to sign over a title to you. You always drive it knowing, this isn't mine. It's still a big difference. If I sign over a title, that's a different thing. Is there anything God has signed over title to you, that he has yielded rights to? Is there anything you possess that he has waived his right to? Not one thing. And so it's stewardship. In other words, everything you possess you are taking care of on God's behalf. You're managing something that doesn't ultimately belong to you. Everything you rightfully have, in other words, through earning, through gifts, through inheritance, is really entrusted to you by the Lord because the entire world and everything that's in it is His. Yeah, there tends to be two responses to, to stewardship when you own something, right? One is you take better care of it. Hey, that's not mine. I'm not free to ignore the proper maintenance, right? Um, I, I, you know, uh, and the other is less care because, hey, I don't care. It's, I'm not the one who's going to deal with it, right? And there's, there's radically different uh, approaches. Seldom do people rent or borrow and treat things the same as they would their own. It's either higher or lower. Um, everything you have, whether it's earned or given or inherited, is ultimately God's because he's allowed it to be so. He's entrusted to you. It's a gift. And with God, there are always, always, always strings attached. There are always expectations. Put another way, the Lord always has expectations for those to whom he entrusts gifts. Uh, you probably remember um, Luke 12, 48, right? To he who has given much, much is expected, right? Um, or perhaps you remember the, the parable of, of the talents. A master had three servants, right? And he was going out of town and he entrusted... Uh, different amounts of money to each of his servants depending upon their gifts, their, their abilities. Uh, the first one was given, I think, ten, or no, five talents. 
And uh, while the master was away, he, he labored, he invested, and, and he doubled his, his five talents. They became ten. To another, he gave two. And that, that servant, again, labored hard, invested, worked, worked. When the master returned, he had doubled his investment. It's not ten, but it's four. It's very admirable. What did the third servant do? He buried it. Master, I know you're a hard, you're a hard master. I, I didn't want to lose anything, so I just, I just buried it. I didn't do anything with it. I pretended it wasn't there. And what does the master do? Scolded him. Took it away. He says, you don't deserve my gifts. You hide them. Expectations. The parable uses money to illustrate something, but the point is that God expects us to use the gifts he's given us for his intended purposes. The gifts he's given us, he intends us to use for his intended purposes. And there are consequences for misusing or neglecting those gifts. Could be money. Could be your time. Could be the gifts you have. Tim, Tim just reminded us to bear one another's burdens. Was that the verse you quoted? Is that financial? Well, very well might be. But are, are finances the only kind of burdens we bear? <laughs> Not remotely. Not remotely. The Lord has blessed us in many, many ways, and all of those blessings have a purpose. It's our job to understand that purpose and to follow it. And that becomes a lot easier when we understand our greatest job is, our, and our greatest goal as stewards of God's gifts. If we understand what, what God ultimately expects from us, we will better understand how each of the gifts we receive work towards that ultimate goal, that ultimate uh, purpose. So what is our great purpose? What is our great goal as God's recipients of God's gifts? What's glorify God? Absolutely. Of course. But how? How do we? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, even when we talked about the purpose of Sunday school, I think it was Rex who, who mentioned the great commandment that we were to love God with all of our mind, but also our heart and soul and strength, right? We love God by, by doing what he commands, right? Um, there's another way we, we, we talk about that uh, in, in membership class. Anybody in my I'm trying to look around here, see who's... Uh, what, what do we talk about? What do, we, what do those, the, the great commandment really talk about doing? What's, what's that connected to? To love God with your mind and your heart and soul and your, your life, your strength. It's the image of God, right? Um, we are made in God's image to reflect, to mirror, to be like God. We glorify him when we act like him in appropriate ways. There are inappropriate ways to act like God. Claiming to be the savior of the world, not a great way to be like God. Uh, um, but obedience to his word, absolutely. 
um, to become more Christ-like. We honor God by reflecting Him because we're made in His image. We're made to, to, to be like Him, to reflect Him, to, and so on. How does God use His possessions? Always wisely. For our good and His glory. Yeah. Think about creation. Why did he make it? For his glory. For his glory alone? I mean, absolutely, but how, what does he do with it? He gives it to us to enjoy. He made it for, for our benefit. His glory, but our benefit. Absolutely, he shares it. He delights in blessing others with it. Um, think about the life of Jesus. What does he do with his life, his time, his resources, his energy? Was he selfish or was he generous? generous. Extremely generous. Yeah. Charlie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we seek to obstruct them, keep them, you know, restrain them, that is that. Yeah. Anytime something is used for not its intended purpose, the boundaries have been crossed. When we use something for in a way that God didn't intend it to be used, we've crossed his boundaries. Absolutely. Um, Jesus shared his life. He gave his time. He ultimately gave his life for others, and he did so freely. What does he say in John 10? I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I give it freely. That's generosity. And that means a few things. First, we we must learn contentment with the blessings God has given us, understanding these are gifts entrusted to us. Ultimately, they belong to God, and we are merely stewards. Furthermore, God's gifts are meant for the benefit of others. And again, this goes back to what Tim brought up. Bear one another's burdens, right? Serve with one another with the gifts you've been given. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. As each of you has received a gift from God, Use it as a good steward of God's very grace, as God's kind, a gift of God's kindness. There it is. Gifts are meant to be used to serve others because we are stewards of God's kindness. Again, that includes money and possessions, but so much more. It includes your talents, your abilities, your time, your attention. These are given to be used and shared. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism means when it says that the Eighth Commandment forbids the misuse and waste of God's gifts. The misuse and waste of God's gifts. Because 
there's expectations for those if we're stewards of those things that are rightly his. Thinking of the prodigal son, various degrees of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Not maybe not as extreme, but it's, it's that from that. Yeah. That branch. We see we see the things under our control as having one purpose and one person only. Purpose only. It's to feed our pleasure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it always crashes and burns, right? Um, yeah. But there's one other thing I think we need to consider before we're done. That God requires that we delight in being generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't just want us to be generous, but he wants us to delight in it because he delights in it. If, if we are generous, but we are so begrudgingly, are we reflecting God? No. I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to slip into grumbling and complaining when it comes to serving. There's times when it's easy and there's times when it's hard and it's easy to play the self-pity game and whine and complain. Say, fine, I'll do it, but then you kind of make sure that everybody knows how much it's costing you. It is the flesh yep. and it's a misuse of God's gifts. In fact, God tells us to look for opportunities to be generous. Uh, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. The opposite of stealing is generosity. And God doesn't just say, give when you have extra. He says, work hard so you have extra to give. And that's what Heidelberg eleven uh, says, uh, that the Eighth Commandment requires that I further my neighbor's good where I can and may, and I deal with him as I would have others deal with me, that I labor faithfully so that I may be able to help the poor in need. That's the, I'd be shocked if they weren't thinking of Ephesians 4.28 when they wrote that. Beloved, I, let us not be simplistic. Our, our reading uh, of the Ten Commandments needs to go Deeper. They're a call to be like God, to reflect him, to honor him, to mirror him. And we cannot achieve that simply by refraining from walking out of stores with things that you didn't pay for. That's a good start. Please don't start doing that. Um, but if, if that's all you, all you think of when you think about the Eighth Commandment, you're, you're missing that God requires so much more of those with whom he has entrusted his gifts as good stewards. And our desire, as those who love God and want to be shaped in his image, should be that those things are, 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 are built up and manifest and reflected so that we're not just generous, but delightfully and cheerfully so. And I'll be honest, I have a long, long way to go. Uh, I'd be shocked if I was the only one in this room that has a long way to go on that. Uh, maybe, and that's okay. That's great. I think, I think our congregation is generous, and I'm very grateful for that. But 
we can always, always, always grow. Um, reach out to your, your deacons. Say, how can we serve? How can we help? I want to be available. Give. But for us Americans, we'd often rather give a check than our time. We've got to work on that. We've got to work on that. Um, sometimes the, the, the most generous thing you can do is just sit with somebody going through a hard time, love them, give them a ride when they need to be somewhere. Those are things that we can do. Um, so any uh, final questions or comments before I close in prayer? Mr. Draper. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so this, this whole you mentioned it several times, but the, the, the significance of time that God expects us to use for Him. Uh, time uh, for Bible study during the week. That you know what? I would rather use that time for the stealing from God. Absolutely. I, I need to remember that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we are, uh, there's time that God says is His time set apart. And we say, I think I'll take that from my things. Absolutely. Charlie. Fantastic. We'll get into that in Isaiah and just in Jeremiah in just a few minutes. Uh, so let's close with prayer with that. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, you have uh, blessed us in so many ways. And we sometimes mistake our stewardship for absolute possession. And we disregard you and your designs for those gifts. Forgive us. Help us, we ask, to reflect you and to honor you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. Let us be generous and kind. Use all things well, we pray in Christ's name.